Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome everyone to this episode of Uplifting Women. This is Holly Tesca and I'm here with my co-host, Kristen Strunk. And today we are delighted to welcome our new, our guest, Janice Perkins. And Janice started her own business in 2019 called Capacity Communications, where she consults, coaches, and speaks for corporations and nonprofits on the topics of marketing, brand development, leadership, and culture. Janice created Capacity Communications to examine individual levels of growth within organizations to find opportunities to boost productivity and profits through increasing individual capacity in our character. In addition, Janice is the VP of Business Development for Marshall Goldsmith's Methods of Leaders, a global project started as a way to make the knowledge of the world's most influential business thinkers from the MG100 coaches accessible for current and future leaders. Methods of Leaders' mission is to share the collective knowledge of the world's greatest leaders with the world's most influential people, those current and future leaders, managers, entrepreneurs, and self-starters who can make a positive impact on society and to make it readily available, affordable, and accessible anywhere, anytime. Janice is a subject matter in the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches and a board member of the Global Connections for Women Foundation. She's actively engaged in volunteering and advising in her local community with the Mental Health and Substance Abuse Coalition. She's on the advisory board for Nextus NXTUS organization, which helps connect startups to investors and pilot partners from around the globe. She's a board member of the Wichita Independent Business Association and a member of Women of Wichita, which unites the power and donations of women back into our community. You and I immediately connected. Um, we've known each other for about a year now, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And I immediately was drawn to your energy and your passion, our shared love of things like leadership, culture, creating positive impact on society. And I'm always suspicious when people do these many things that you do around raising others up and trying to create a better world. What's the story behind all of that? Where did it begin? What a good question. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and be able to share stories that I have with anyone who is is willing to listen and that it can impact. There, there are a couple of different routes. One, I was raised in a family of origin uh, where generosity was prevalent 
and you give what you have to other people. You invite strangers to your table, um, that kind of thing. I just always say there were strangers knocking at the door at the table. It's the way my mom and dad both were. It's the way both my grandparents were, which was an incredible way to be raised. I didn't realize that was unique until much later. But as I, my grown up story, boy, we could have lots of hours of conversation <laughs> around um, a dinner table about that. But in the past couple of decades, it really has become profoundly the way I can impact other people. I, I think we're here for a purpose bigger than we can see. And it was made clear to me even about 10 years ago, I almost died from chronic Lyme disease. And both my kids had been born sick and I didn't understand that. And then I had a health crisis. And then we finally figured it out. All three of us had Lyme disease manifesting in very individually unique chronic illnesses. And that when you're in the bottom, you learn a lot about your heart and what you've put in there. And at, let's see, I was 38 years old when I got sick, I was less than 85 pounds and my children were three and four. And that wasn't the way I wanted to go out. And I know a lot of other women who struggle with, you know, breast cancer early in their thirties or forties or other illnesses. And in as much as I got up every day to impact my children for good and to volunteer at the school and do all those things while also working, I also wondered really like what other legacy and impact have I left and am I making? What will people say if I'm gone today? And, and it's one of the profound things that I have all my coaching clients do is to write their own eulogy, because if we don't think about what impact we want to leave behind. And I think about that for my today, then I get caught up in the making the cookies, which are impactful at times, but the making the cookies and the emails and the cleaning out your outbox and all those random busy things that take up our time end up draining our ability to really be intentional and be in the moment and do more things that matter. I'm actually even more intentional today that I don't do more that's on my plate currently. And I say no more to things so that I can make an impact where I stand because I just think that we get pulled into yeses. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many women that I work with that I ask them on a regular basis, what have you said no to today? Mm -hmm. It's really important. But I also know that when I do um, take a meal to a neighbor or something like that, that the small gestures are really important and I need to activate them. And, and that it just became more important for me to, to not miss a moment. I thought about the times that I'd be like, oh, I should call and check on her. And then I didn't. Or those things that you all, oh, I'll get to it. And I became much more intentional to stopping what I'm doing and write a thank you note. Stop what I'm doing and send a text message. Stop what I'm doing and make a phone call. That minute and a half is not that critical to my day. And it matters to other people. When you think about the things that get you through dark places, one of my, a girl that I knew from a church group, I didn't know her very well at all. And she hadn't, I'd probably only know her a few months. And she dropped off at my door a giant bag of coloring books and puzzles and watercolors and other things for my kids when I first got sick. And I was like, it was like the most precious gift on the, it probably cost her $7 at the dollar store. I have no idea, but it was impactful to me that someone took a 10 minute extra drive, stopped at the store, maybe 15 to 20 minutes of her day to make an impact on my life. That was profound. And I, I just find that's the place I want to sit in more every day. You, you raise an important point. 
but when you stop and think about it, there's a lot of lonely people out there. And just that simple act of kindness, take a minute to check in with somebody, even if you just send them a text. Hi, I'm thinking about you. How are you doing today? And my friend Howard Prager, he just released a book a few months ago called Making Someone's Day, chock full of stories about how those little impactful moments come back later and you hear stories about how they make a difference. And so smiling at strangers, being really thankful to someone in the checkout, whatever it is, we should stand in the space that we're in and realize that we have the energy to impact everyone around us in a positive way. I'll be irritated in the grocery store and get up to the front line and realize, oh my gosh, there's one checker and there's eight people standing in line. I've been really conscious of trying to put a positive spin on that, trying to not go inside of myself and be angry Mm -hmm. about that. But is there something I can do? So if the lady behind me has two items, hey, go in front of me, do something to shift that energy. I love that. And the power of positivity, I always say comes from a giant well of hope. And it's something we certainly learned the last couple of years as well. If you don't build hope, it's not there for a rainy day. And, and it's creating those habits of positivity that enable us when times are darker to look on the bright side, right? What can I be thankful for today? If I don't have habits of gratitude, then my hope was empty on a day that I feel right. People will say, things aren't as hard for you. You always seem upbeat or conflict is not as difficult for you. You do this for a living. I don't know. Now I have dark days and conflict sucks for all of us. None of us like hard conversations. My life goes ebb and flow like everyone else's. Right. And I have to dip into that well of hope on the days that are hard. I'm a single mom. I owe my own business. Life's hard sometimes. Absolutely. Um, that's why the, the uplifting women, the idea of reminding us about our positivity, our tribal behavior that we should have toward one another. I think it's genetically wired. I'd like some scientist person to prove me wrong. I think we're wired as women to be in packs like lionesses. And I think we get more fierce the tighter we are. I think you're right about that. And I love that vision I have in my head now of the well of hope. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You have to keep that well, that bucket, at least partially full all the time, because you never know when one of those dark days are going to come when you have mm-hmm. to de- dip into that. So that is really, that's very powerful. I think we might call this episode, the well of hope. Good. I like <laughs> it. I use the phrase all the time and it, it's the way we also have to take care of ourselves to give to our families, right? You know, if I don't take care of myself, I have nothing to give. And the well of hope works that way. It's it's around creating um, good habits that fill it and surrounding ourselves with people who resonate with us. I love when you said, I felt connected to you. That's the phrase I use too. Like the more I think about the fact that I'm an energetic creature, when I meet someone and I feel like I've known you forever and I like you, then I don't need to be afraid to say, I like you. Will you be my friend? I just said that to someone the other day. Is it okay that I call you my friend now? I want you to be in my friend circle because I can feel that we resonate the same. And that means that we can fill each other's well of hope at times, right? That Mm -hmm. it multiplies when we're with people who are like us. I want to be around people who smile also and who are grasping for the same kinds of things I am, even admitting in authenticity that it's also hard. That you said, I struggle sometimes in the grocery line. Oh, I relate to that tap, tap, tap my foot. But 
it's in that authenticity that I realize, but it's important to stand in myself and remember to smile and remember that the day's bigger than the time that I have left in it. It's yeah. just, it's bigger than that. There's so much emphasis now on culture and diversity and bias and not just looking for other people that look and feel like ourselves because those are comfortable relationships. I think there's a that we have to have a balance of both of those things, right? I love to be around people that have similar energy level to me and interests and for all the same reasons that you've outlined. I mean, it makes it comfortable. It feels like we can finish one another's sentences. We have a lot of the same values around things. But at the same time, I also want to be challenged, Mm -hmm. um, challenged to think differently. Mm -hmm. And how do we find that proper balance between being around people that make me feel like a big hug all the Mm -hmm. time, because Mm -hmm. we're so similar, and then people who can challenge deep-seated beliefs that may or may not be right for me or for society. So how do you reconcile that? Oh, I, this is such a great question. So there's a couple different ways. One is not only do I look for people that my soul resonates with, not just my same energy level, but I feel something deep inside that resonates and that doesn't always look like the person I am. So I'm looking for not just people who are similar to me, but that I can feel it deep inside. And that's something I just have to register in my spirit instead of just paying attention to people's words. And the second one is when I see something in someone that I don't have, that's a quality that's hard for me, or that's a quality I want more of. Then I ask for more of that person. Can you spend time with me? Can I learn from you? Would you mentor me? Could I take you to lunch and learn from you? Can I hear your story? Because there's something about you that I need more of has become more of a common conversation I have with complete strangers at times when I see something that is valuable that I know would help me. So that's, those are two ways. The other thing is you said the word balance. And I talk about this even in groups of women, when we talk about, I hate the phrase work-life balance because it's a complete lie. So I don't like to use the word balance, even in this sense, it's more about the word tension. And tension, and I think about, can have a negative connotation. And let me reframe it for all the people who are listening. Tension was reframed for me a few years ago because it was a word that I focused on for the whole year. And what I realized about halfway through the year is that really difficult things and things that we want to go after and things even inside of ourselves, our own competing values, like you're talking about, like a music string on the guitar, have to be tuned to the right tension to have harmony. And that beautiful sounds come out of just the right type of tension, but you don't tighten it and leave it forever. It needs adjustment and it has to have that harmony and that frequency with the other strings. And so it's something that we we need to fine tune all the time. And we need to listen to our environment, to ourselves, to our needs and things around us so that we can stay in that right tension and that it's not supposed to ever feel like, oh, I just got it figured out. No, that's not a feeling that we should be striving for because it's a misnomer. It does not exist. It's a myth. It's a lie. Run from it. Run (laughs) far away. You will always feel a little bit, am I cheating this direction or this direction? Did I get that sound right? Oh, this week it worked great. Next week, got to retune. It's just something we have to stay on top of. It's like taking the trash out. You just, 
it's always there and it needs attention. That That's a word that was really helpful for me when it comes to the question that you asked is to think about it more in terms of that. So I'm balancing my values all the time and keeping that in check. I can't just put it in cruise control. I love that. I love that that word. I'm going to have to, to use that going forward because I too, I don't like the word balance. I don't like the phrase work-life balance. I think it has different meanings at different times, even from week to week, day to day, hour to hour. And some weeks you can work 30 hours and feel out of balance, out of whack. Other weeks you can work 80 hours and feel like a million bucks. So there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just, it's that I love the word tension and fine tuning the tension. And for females, if you could, this is another analogy. It's like having a bad hair day out of nowhere. It's great, right? Like I bought the new hair products, got the new haircut, whatever it is, everything's been going genius. And then all of a sudden you wake up and the whole thing is just trash. And you're like, what is it? The weather? Is it the water pressure? You, you have no idea where it comes from, but you have to retune the entire thing from scratch. And that's just how it is that our values and the things that we're fighting for can get out of check just like that fast. Bad hair day. Put it up. Just put it up, right? I love it. I want to go back to when you first found out what your illness was. What did you have to do to get yourself in better shape and figure out your path forward. So talk a little bit about what was that journey like once you finally figured out what was causing the issue, the problem for you, what did you have to do to get yourself to where you are today? Because it sounds like you've come a long way. Um, A really long way. So I had to battle fear in, in a really bad physical pit. What you realize is it's not just physical right? We've all experienced emotional traumas. A lot of people haven't necessarily stood at death's door, although we've all had physical ailments most of the time by our age or setbacks, so to speak. Standing at death's door was profound. It's not that I ever thought that I was immortal or invincible at that point. I certainly didn't, but, but it definitely shifts perspective. And the other thing in wrestling fear is that it, it, I couldn't let fear. My kids needed me I knew that somehow I just knew that the physical battle out was going to be mental and spiritual. I just knew that it wasn't necessarily just about getting strong because getting strong is something that anybody can do eventually. Having a mystery illness that insurance didn't pay for and many doctors and odd treatments and out of the box, everything and my own research and building an entire community that by at this point it's global. I know people all over the world. I still had someone call me just the other day. People send me people with Lyme disease all over the world because it's still very hard to cure and very hard to heal because there's a limited understanding. And there are just things bigger than us. And I think I would call myself a type A person and control wasn't something I thought I had, but yet was mysteriously unknown to me to be out of control, if that makes sense. Like I didn't, I wasn't a control freak, but yet the idea that I couldn't just work hard and get it, or I couldn't just find an answer that there were adaptive challenges that I would encounter that would be years down the road. I didn't 
I didn't drive for a year and a half because my vision was failing. I couldn't, my brain swelling was so big. My, I was going blind. There are just things that nobody knew the answers to. And hope again was giant for me. I am a very faith-based person and in the darkest pits of life sits our creator. Mm-hmm. It's going to make me emotional, but it's true. And I think we don't grow in character or spiritually until everything is stripped away. When things are great, we can have faith or a belief, but we don't really have an anchor because we've never had to hold on to something. We've never been in a storm. I'm incredibly grateful to have been given lessons that I would never have learned other ways. And my kids even asked me, I'll tell you a story that could be a little heartbreaking, but my son, so my, my kids were both, you know, really sick and we had lots of health struggles and we were doing a devotional one morning and my son was probably six or seven at the time. And he was chomping on his gluten-free Cheerios. And um, the devotional was talking about why we have to do hard things. Like, why do we have to do hard things? And so I read it. And then I looked at both kids and I said, why do you think we have to do hard things? And with his mouth full of gluten-free Cheerios dripping out of his chin, he said, because God's making me into a warrior mom. Oh my gosh. Mic drop. I didn't have an answer that good because some days I thought it sucked right? The pity party is real. It's real when you're in the pit and in trauma, it's real. And you have to get up and you have to tell the party to F off and go away with a vengeance. I had to fight for the depths of my soul to believe that a good day could come. And that's what history does show us though. Seasons change. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm declaring out loud kind of person. That's why they're things behind me on the wall all the time to remember. And I say things out loud because good days are coming. And it's important for us to speak to our heart and remind ourselves. People will say, I'm so sorry. And things will get better. And silly little phrases like God never gives us more than we can handle. That's bullshit. Quite frankly, all of this life stuff we deal with is more than we can handle. That's why we are supposed to be an army of lionesses for each other. That's what compassion and empathy were born in our hearts for. And that's where we grow. Life is easy. All we have is fun. I like belly laughter like the next girl. Shedding tears with each of you makes us connect more. And when we hold each other up. Exactly. And what you're sharing is so powerful, Janice, because so many have walked in a variety of your shoes, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not been at death's door, but certainly have faced trauma, have faced difficult family situations, you name it. Everybody's story um, is their story. Mm -hmm. But when we can openly share those stories with others, it it takes the pain out of it because then you don't feel like God's just picking on me. That's exactly right. And one of the things... And I wrote an article not very long ago. It's a thing that we're born with in our hearts and we're born with it for a reason. And our culture bleeds it out a little bit. We're born to be stubborn. Try taking a toy or something away from a two-year-old that throws it off the high chair 45 times or whatever, or doesn't want to be buckled in their car seat. That's born in our hearts for a reason, because when we're left with nothing, we have to dig into that stubborn place. That's gritty and scrappy and sassy and be stubborn against it. Sure. I will have a better day. I will. Right. And I can't get it on my own. I have no control over it, 
but I can go to bed knowing that tomorrow has a possibility of better. That's it. I'm going to be stubborn for hope. And then in its simplicity, that's about all that's in the darkness at the bottom of the pit. It is. Exactly. I congratulate you on scrapping your way out, clawing your way out of the pit. I know how difficult that can be. I think I may have somebody that I want to refer to you (laughs) for conversation as well. This is what this community is all about. It's about uplifting women in a way that number one, they don't feel as though there is no hope because when we lose hope, we've lost everything. And I think our job here is to continue to help people realize that there's cause to have hope. There are little ways to fill that well of hope back up, uh, little things that you can do. Because as I say, practically on every episode we do, you have to put your own mask on first before trying to assist others. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> it's a great rule. And I, it's part yes. of the formula that I follow with people on building hope again is I have to believe in myself. So If I'm tearing myself down, I can't help other people and I can't start to fill my, so the negative has to come out. I can't say bad things to myself. I can't believe, I I believe in bad things. I fail down. I have to fail forward. Those are things that I have to believe about me. I have been given gifts and talents and I am beautiful inside, regardless of what anybody has ever told me. The other words in there have to be thrown out their lies. And that's the beginning of that stubbornness too. We picked up stories along the way that weren't ours. And and in fact, I was telling someone the other day about, this is one of the images that came to my mind as I was thinking about it. Each of us at women, as women, were handed a beautiful package at birth that we thought, oh, how pretty, I'll take that. And it was full of lies about beauty and womanhood and femininity that our culture wanted us to believe that aren't true. And all the rest of our lives have been spent trying to get rid of it. What we picked up and owned. No, that's not what beauty is. That's not what love is. That's not who I am. My gifts and talents are different than yours. I don't have to be more like Holly. I can be me. And we were handed that package that said there's a cookie cutter for what a girl is supposed to be. And it's not. I don't have to not be who I am. I can be strong. I can be talkative. I can be shy. I can have big hair. I can have whatever I want, what I was given and be an individual first, not just female. I say that all the time to women too. We have to express our femininity and understand it, but it's a spectrum. And when I finally figured out that I could be the girl I am in my heart, not the woman society says I have to be, I realized I'm Janice, I'm a person. That was put in my heart way before anything else. Even before my gender was in the womb, I was Janice in my heart. So I think we, we have to realize that's the cry that we can accept in that belief of who we are so that we can start to grow hope. So I get a soapbox. Here I go. Look. I love it. I love it. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I fully believe exactly what you're saying. And I think society has messed women up in a big way because, you know, first go to the left. No, that's too far to the left. We don't want you to be that far to the left. Now come back to the right. No, now you're too far to the right, you know. And you should be saying, I'm sorry, every time we tell you to move and and go make some muffins. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I've tried very hard in the last couple of years to remove the word just from my vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Every time I find it goes away, cross it off. I get rid of it. Just get rid of that doggone word. I don't like it. Get rid of just and but, and I'm sorry. And all the rest of that. I am who I am. 
Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that. I want to be respectful of you. I want to be respectful of the people around me, but please be respectful in return. And when we do this really well, that thing that you asked earlier about learning from each other and accepting each other as uniquely different and being attracted to people who are different, it starts to happen more naturally because we begin to see the person, not the shell. Like we still have these filters that our social structure has put on us, how we view each other. And those are lies. So I know who I am in here. Then I can start to believe who you are for truly your individuality, which is much more than any of those check boxes country of origin, family of origin, language you speak, we are much more beautiful inside even than that, right? We have value that's much deeper in our heart and our treasure rooms are full of gifts and talents to share with each other. So let's discover that and accept all of those things. And then we're not so worried that we're, you know, checking these little superficial boxes of diversity. And from a marginalization standpoint, I'm not devaluing that. Like marginalization is a whole different thing than diversity and marginalization and inclusion. All of that is really important, but that's, again, those are beliefs our culture has told us to have. Mm -hmm. So look in, look in the values of your heart and say, what myths am I believing today that aren't true? That gets rid of most of the biases right there. Yeah, that's a great question. Because that's true about me and you and then all these other things, right? Our family of origin tells us, our church tells us, our culture, school, all of these different things. And there's a lot more myths in our box than we give it credit for. Yeah, yeah. They're not really true values. There's somebody else's story they told us to have. Exactly, exactly. So Janice, what's next for you? Good question. A lot of things. So I am focusing much more on training and coaching as the world changed. I started my business six months before COVID first hit. It was already a very thin branch as a single mom to be on my own. And things just have a way of working out. I said this the other day, are you guys Seinfeld episode fans? The episode where Jerry throws $20 out the window and Kramer walks back in the room with it because things always even out for Jerry. I feel like it's not exactly ever how I think it's supposed to be, but my faith keeps me grounded in being open to opportunity, working hard every day. And it's a mantra that um, one of my favorite authors, Mark Batterson says is pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. And that's just what I do. Next things for me, I finished my MBA last year. I congrats. Am. Congrats. That's it awesome. Was, it was a big gift to myself late in my career post-divorce. And I am strongly considering pursuing my PhD and dumping into that on the cusp of putting two kids through college soon. I'm trying not to be afraid of that thin branch and um, embrace the opportunity if that's what I'm supposed to be doing and uh, maybe do more writing, uh, which is something that's been gnawing at me for a while too. And really being more open to discovering how I can impact women positively in a different way than I just impact my clients. I I was telling someone again the other day that as I was coaching, it was the end of a coaching session and we were talking about the way we're made and I use some certain assessments and we were talking about how they help us deal with our own distress and our emotional intelligence. And I said, wouldn't this be more valuable than geometry or chemistry in school? I'm just saying, there are people who use chemistry every day. I, of course, never did again and or geometry. And I just think, why aren't we teaching kids the value of emotional intelligence and 
the value of communication in regard to, and would we really be having to push DEI if in schools we were teaching emotional intelligence and acceptance and individuality? Would we, right? Probably Couldn't not. we teach an entire generation to love, dignify people and accept individuals? And I think those three things could change the world. So I just think about what things can I do in areas, where can I leave an imprint that makes a bigger difference? So I think I you're onto something. I think you're onto something there, Janice. I think let's take on the education system. Let's make it, let's create a world where we're actually teaching things to, to young people that will make them better people, their hearts to be yes. molded. Now I'm going to get like hate mail from all these STEM educators that think I, I'm saying no to chemistry. That's not it. That's not uh, it. it is. It's a training in how to be this person. If I can be this person better, I can love you better. Because at the end of the day, every interaction that we want that's positive is rooted in love. Right. And when you stop and think about what's important in the world and in the workplace right now, the thing that bubbles to the surface is relationships, right? We don't spend enough time helping young people understand the value of relationships and how to treat one another because life is a negotiation. It's an, it's a constant negotiation. We had a guest on Dr. Mira Branco a number of episodes ago, who had written a book on a millennials guide to workplace politics. And even the word politics, it feels dirty, right? Mm -hmm. You hear the word politics, but really politics is quite neutral. That's the way things get done in the world. And that was really helpful to me. Politics isn't a bad thing. It's what you do with it. And that's absolutely right. And it's, I'm going to go backward for a minute too. One of my, one of my other personal mantras is to help people get out of their own way so they can love deeper because it, it you know, all of it goes back to love and and the beginning point of that is this point of interaction, which I call reciprocity. When I get to a place that I can believe in myself and I can believe in Holly and Kristen, then all of a sudden we can find common ground. That is the well of love where real innovation gets created and risk can be a, a bountiful because if we don't believe deeply in the people in our team that we trust, trust comes from love, right? Innovation and risk come out of trust. You can't truly innovate with a team, maybe in a vacuum by yourself you can, but in a team, true brainstorming and risk and innovation comes from trust, which is only built on love. And most of the time we can't love deeply if we don't have hope. Like there's this chain that has to happen in our heart that we don't build in school and in our adult upbringing. We all trip on it and we put it together and we're, like, we're all duct taped together a little bit in our character development, because we didn't have a pathway that was shown to us. That I think that if we really open ourselves up, we start to emote in a way that we can resonate. And for whatever value that is, that we can teach a generation of kids to digitally emote and to still connect and to make a difference. Final question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice you want to leave with our listeners in terms of leaving the world a better place or going after your dreams or never giving up or whatever kind of advice that you would like to leave our listeners today from your so, world. The minute you said that, I felt compelled to say two things. As if I'm looking straight at all the women who are listening, you are beautiful and you are enough and you are worthy of the dreams in your heart. 
And sometimes we don't believe we deserve them. So we don't admit them. And we don't think good things can come because someone else has stolen our value. And your heart can be fully restored to the value you were given at birth to be who you are. But you're the only one who can advocate for that and stand there and remind yourself that you are beautiful and you are valuable and you are worthy of the dreams in your heart. Thank you so much, Janice. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.